We, uh, we are going to do things a little bit differently this morning. As you know, if you regularly attend here, we generally make our way through a letter or a book of the Bible, verse by verse. This morning, I thought I would change it up a little bit and do more of a topical, if you will, message, specifically talking about the role and importance of, as your title demonstrates to you, God's Word and godly mothers in our lives, and also showing the connection between those two things. So why don't we just jump on in and I'll do something. I'm trying to do something that I don't ever do, which is actually finish on time because I know you're dying to get out of here and get to your brunches and, and share time with mom, hopefully, uh, today if she's uh, with you. And so I want to do my best to, to keep it at time or under time this morning. So we're going to begin by talking about God's Word, God's Word. And Again, I am making special application this morning, I will be throughout the sermon, to mothers, to mothers, but certainly much of what I will say is applicable to all, but you moms, or grandmothers for that matter, I would uh, invite you to listen closely and consider uh, the items that we're going to be sharing this morning. But I've, I've used this illustration before in a message I did years ago, talking about the supremacy of the Scriptures, just talking about the importance of the Word of God. It's from uh, that little daily bread devotional, but the story goes like this, that the Pony Express, a mail service, uh, was a thrilling part, it says, of early American history. It ran from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California, a distance of about 1,900 miles. The trip was made in... 10 days. We have mail carriers in here somewhere. Where are you? Are you here today? I don't see you. Okay. There you are. There I see you. So this is very interesting to you, isn't it? You are really interested in this story. Okay. (laughs) The trip was made in 10 days, and there were 40 men, each riding 50 miles a day. They dashed along the trail on 500 of the best horses the West could provide. But to conserve weight, clothing was very light, saddles were extremely small and thin, and no weapons were carried. And it probably would have been good for them to have some weapons, but they carried none. The horses themselves were small shoes or none at all. The mail pouches were flat and very conservative in size. Letters had to be written on thin paper, and postage was $5 an ounce, which would have been a tremendous sum in those days. In other words, it was very expensive to send a letter. They could not carry a lot due to the way it was being delivered. And so they had to minimize anything else that they took with them is the idea, right? Yet, each writer carried a full-sized Bible. And probably not one of those mini ones that you carry now. Maybe even bigger than this, I would imagine, due to the paper and the way it was worked out before. But each writer carried a full-sized Bible. It was presented to him when he joined the Pony Express. And he took it with him despite all of the scrupulous weight precautions. So what's that say about the Word of God, that little story? What's it trying to tell you? Huh? Yeah, that the word of God was important. They would set aside other things, including weapons. The shoes would go, the horses would go, the shoes would go, the horses would go without shoes. Uh, They were conserving, they would dress light, their saddles were light, but yet they found it important to take along, it would be pretty heavy, a full-size Bible. Why? Because the word of God, they thought it to be at least, we can draw from that story, very, very important. Well, how important are the scriptures of the word of God to you? How important are they? Um, just thinking this through, what place would you say that they have in your life? Or speaking specifically to mothers, what place would you say that they have in your life and 
in your family's life, in your children's life? How much of your thoughts or your speech do the Scriptures occupy? I mean, these kind of questions, if you look to answer them honestly, faithfully, sincerely, will reveal to you really just how important the Scriptures are to you. I mean, we can talk all day about them being important, but if they're not showing up in your life, if they're not focused on in your home, if you're not really spending time in the Word on a regular, frequent basis, if you're not sharing it with others, and certainly, most importantly, those closest to you, those right in your home, your family, your children, then is the Word of God that important to you? Now, it may have been at one time, but maybe you have let other things take its place. That's very pretty common. Seems like there's always something trying to move in and take the place that should belong to the Word of God in our lives. Good old Abraham Lincoln said, I believe that the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. The best gift God has ever given to man. Would you affirm that? Would you affirm that? If yes, and many of you are shaking your head yes, and it's always good to see that. If yes, does your life prove that affirmation to be true? Does your life prove that? Again, easy for us to say things and to acknowledge things and even to affirm things. But does our life back those things up? And so this is an opportunity for you this morning uh, just to think on those things and, if necessary, to be challenged, exhorted, corrected. Maybe you're saying, yes, my life does affirm the importance of the Scriptures. And so you should rejoice. You should glory in the grace of God that is working in your life even now to bring you to that place. Rejoice. Celebrate. But maybe you feel a little conviction this morning about these things. And so that's your opportunity to repent. To repent. To confess your sin to God and to get on the right track again. Now today's message will primarily come from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young Christian man named Timothy. Timothy. We'll be looking specifically at 2 Timothy. If you want, you can turn there now in your Bibles to chapter 3, looking at verse 16 and 17. If you're using one of those blue church Bibles located underneath a seat around you, in that Bible you can turn to page 996. So a little a background info concerning this letter. The Apostle Paul was, at this time, in writing this letter, imprisoned in Rome. This was his second imprisonment in Rome. This would be his final one. Paul knew that the end of his life was near. We find that out, actually, in this letter. This is really his final goodbyes. Prior to being imprisoned, however, Paul had stationed a trained, trusted, and faithful co-worker of his in the gospel ministry, that man being named Timothy. And he stationed him in the city of Ephesus. Of Ephesus. Why? Well, 
so that Timothy might continue the good work that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had started there in the city, building up, strengthening, protecting, and instructing the local church that had been planted there. That's why Paul stationed Timothy there. But in order for Timothy to succeed at that serious task, he, like Paul, would certainly have to continue to be saturated with, have confidence in, and rely heavily upon the Word of God. So, in chapter 3, what we see here is Paul re-emphasizing to Timothy the crucial role of the Scriptures, or as one commentator puts it, God's inscripturated revelation. I like that. God's inscripturated revelation, meaning his revelation put into written word. So he reemphasized the crucial role of that very scripture in Timothy's present ministry there in Ephesus to the church planted there. This is a passage that most of you are no doubt already very familiar with, and it's really just the starting point of the sermon today, but I'll read it. 2 Timothy, follow along with me, chapter 3, verse 6 and 16 and 17. All Scripture, the Apostle Paul writes, is breathed out by God. Some translations have given by inspiration of God, inspired by God. Breathed out by God, though, is a good translation. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. One writer, commentator, concerning this passage just makes a note that we must not view Paul as attempting to inform Timothy at this point of the inspiration of Scripture or that it is indeed God-breathed. Timothy knew that already. He was very well aware of the inspiration of Scripture, that it was directly from God, that it was God's word to man. Paul was reminding Timothy here that Scripture was profitable, and the basis of its profitableness lies in the fact that it is inspired of God or breathed out by God himself. It is that very truth or reality that makes the word of God critical, important, and worthy of our attention and devotion completely and entirely. It is that fact. It is not any other revelation, such as the revelation of man or man's wisdom or man's thoughts, but indeed the very revelation of God himself given to us. Now, Scripture, that passage says, is profitable. All of it, every bit of it is profitable. And certainly that would include all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament. At this time, though, the New Testament wasn't completed, and it primarily would have had more of a focus or emphasis when speaking of the Scriptures on the Old Testament that had already been established. But when it speaks of Scripture, all Scripture being breathed out by God, it includes the entire 
Bible as we know it, all 66 books. And the Apostle Paul says it is beneficial, profitable, or useful. It has value. For what? What is it useful for? Paul goes on, reemphasizing these matters to Timothy there in Ephesus, guiding, teaching, training, shepherding that church there. It is useful for teaching. It is useful for teaching the Word of God. So it is useful for helping Christians, simple, know and better understand God's truth, God's truth, or doctrine, such as things like the truth about God, the truth about us, the truth about humanity. And beloved, there is such confusion concerning these matters, is there not? About even what a human being is or where a human being, where we came from or where we begin or what gives us value. But it's the word of God that tells us the truth about these matters. It tells us the truth about human history, the truth about the earth it was created, the truth about its recreation. We know where this is going. We know where the earth is going. We know what God has in store for this earth. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to take the wisdom of men. The Bible tells us these things. It tells us the truth about salvation, the truth about the Savior, the truth about how a sinner can be made right with a holy God, reconciled forever. This is what makes the Scriptures so important, or at least should, if you understand these things to be so. It is useful for teaching. Is there any other book that we have that would instruct us in these things? There is not, beloved. There is not. There is nothing like the Word of God. That is why it is the greatest gift to humanity. It is useful for teaching, for helping us know the truth about such important matters, such important questions. It is useful for reproof, the passage says. So the scriptures help show us where we have erred, both in our thinking and in our living. So important, so important. Because living in disobedience to God, living in disobedience to his revealed will, living in disobedience to his righteous and perfect commands is sin. It is sin. And sin, as the scriptures show us, is incredibly dangerous and harmful to us and those around us, those we love. God's word helps us to see what is sin in our lives? And more importantly, the Bible helps us to see it rightly. By that I mean the way God sees it, so that we might turn from it, run from it, flee from it. Beloved, think about this. Think about how different the Word of God is to just the world around you and the culture within which we live and move, right? Right? The world around us, the fallen world, that is, goes after sin. They celebrate sin. They encourage sin, disobedience, 
to God, his will for humanity. Right? And that's where we live, and that's what we are constantly exposed to. And this is why we continually need to go back to this book, this book, to be reminded again and again, no, I am thinking wrongly about this thing that God hates and despises and says very clearly in his word, will ruin and destroy my life. The world around me says, this will bring you joy. This will bring you happiness. Indulge. I need to be reminded again because I begin to believe those lies. That these things are dangerous and God has given me warning after warning concerning these matters. And he helps me to know what is dangerous and what isn't. I may have bought into some lie growing up in these things, thinking that this thing was not sin, it wouldn't hurt me. But then I read the word of God, I find out the truth about such matters. It indeed will hurt me, it indeed will destroy me and those around me. What other book does that? This is such an important book. And if we, if we understood just such a simple passage here, 2 Timothy 3.16, such a simple passage, but if we really took it seriously, We need to go nowhere else for this kind of teaching, for this kind of reproof. And yet, and yet, if we're all being really honest, right? How many of us neglect this book? How many of us neglect it on a regular basis? In other words, the exception to the rule is not that we sometimes don't pick it up, right? But the exception exception is sometimes we pick it up. That's a problem, beloved, if that's true of you. Paul goes on, for correction, so for teaching, for reproof, for correction. This is the positive side of reproof. Reproof shows us where we've gone wrong. Correction teaches us what is right, either in our thinking or our actions. And it always begins with our thinking. If we think wrongly, we will live wrongly. But if we think rightly, or should I say Biblically, to think as God thinks, to think God's thoughts after him, if we think that way, then we will live as God would have us to live. We would live rightly or correctly. We would turn away from sin and turn unto the Lord in his righteousness. And Paul goes on to say this book, the scriptures, are useful. They are profitable being breathed out by God. They are profitable for training in righteousness. Also in the passage, The scriptures then train us, they teach us how to practically live holy or righteous lives. Lives that honor God and bring him glory. Lives that will give us true peace in our hearts and bring us great blessing. Great blessing. Beloved, honestly, the reason I think a lot of people have such turmoil inside of their souls is... Well, certainly if they're an unsaved individual, I can understand that, but even Christians, turmoil, anxiety in their souls can be because they have neglected this book to one degree or another, therefore they are not being trained in righteousness, so they are likely walking to one degree or another in unrighteousness. They're not being reproved, they're not being taught by this book. And as a result, since God has saved them and redeemed them for the very purpose that they would walk in his 
manner or according to his way in righteousness. They are not doing that, and therefore they are troubled inside of their souls. The Spirit of God is convicting them. They know what they are doing is not right, but they will not take the time or make the effort to be trained in how they are to live for the Lord. If they would do that and begin to walk as he had called them to walk, then they will find a peace that they would have no other way, a peace of knowing that they are living in compliance with their Lord and God, living as he would have them to live. It brings a peace, a a conscience that is clear, that is not constantly bearing down on them. I think many folks could avoid anxiety medication altogether if they would go to the Word of God and be trained by it and walk as God has called them to walk. People give up much blessing. God wants to bless his people, and we're not talking about, and you know, if you know me, you know, we're not talking about big houses and fancy cars and perfect health. We're not talking about that. But there is indeed a blessing for the people of God when they walk as God has called them to walk, live according to his instructions, which are here. Here, they're right here, right? So this book is useful for training in righteousness. Burdens me, it saddens my heart. The so much blessing that God would love to pour out on his people is willfully given up because they won't go to the book. One translation of the Bible puts verse 16 this way. It is useful for teaching us what is true. It is useful for correcting our mistakes. It is useful for making our lives whole again. It is useful for training us to do what is right. Leave that up for just a second, dear brother. Moms, think of all the stuff that you can expose your kids to. Hmm? All the stuff, you know, that you want to make sure that they know or that they get an opportunity to learn, right? What other book, what other book does all of this? And wouldn't that be critical to that young child's upbringing? It is useful for teaching us what is true, objectively true. Don't you want them to know what is true, yeah? It is useful for correcting our mistakes. It is useful for making our lives whole again. It is useful for training us to do what is right. Of course, Mom, you gotta, you got to be in the book too, right? But what other book? So is this book the priority? I hope it is. Is this book the priority in your home, in your children's lives? Are you spending a significant amount of time exposing them to this book, the very book that can do all of these things. Now, Paul goes on to say that the purpose of all this, specifically writing to Timothy here, is that the man of God, in verse 17, may be competent and equipped for every good work. Remember, he's writing to Timothy, okay? He's writing to him, he's encouraging him, he's he's instructing him, Timothy has to carry on now this mission as he continues to to guide and protect and shepherd this church there in Ephesus. 
And so, speaking to him, he indirectly refers to him as the man of God. He specifically calls him the man of God in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11. But this is an indirect reference to Timothy. One writer says, the phrase is used in the Old Testament for one who proclaimed the word of God. In this context, the man of God refers most, mostly to Timothy, and certainly by extension to all those who would be preachers of the word and shepherds and caring for the church. But it, it's not limited specifically or only to a man like Timothy. Certainly, verse 16 would be applicable to all, and verse 17 for that matter. One who is indulging in the scriptures and is making use of the scriptures, will be made competent and equipped for every good work that God would have for them. Mom? Dad? One writer says concerning this passage, verse 17, Paul placed heavy burdens of ministry on his young disciple in this letter, but he did not do so irresponsibly. He was confident of Timothy's commitment to and dependence on the Scriptures. And he was even more confident of God's ability to supply all Timothy's needs through the Word. All Timothy's needs through the Word. All of your needs through the Word. Mom, all of your needs through the Word. But do you believe that? Do you believe that to be so? Because if you did, then this would occupy a great amount of your time, of your focus, of your attention. Another writer says if Timothy would nurture his spiritual life in the scriptures that he would use in his ministry, he would be fully qualified and prepared to undertake whatever task God put before him. Hey, beloved, child rearing is no easy task. Okay? I mean, I think like shepherding a church is really just child rearing on steroids. In a sense, in a sense, not that, you know, you're children, but you care, you love, you guide, you, you feel for all of that, you have to instruct, but child rearing is it's not for the light of heart, that's for sure. You, I would say moms, dads, but again, I'm speaking to moms today, and dads, you can receive this as well. You need all the help you can get. But unfortunately, I think we go everywhere for help, except here. Except here. So not only do you, mom, have to be a woman of the word, okay? But you need to be feeding your kids this word, right? It's what trains them. It's what corrects them. It's what teaches them things they need to know about God, about themselves, about the Savior, about salvation, about sin. It's the Word. You need to know it and be in it in order to be sharing it. I hope that's what you are doing. Now, I want to change course for a moment. I'll tie everything together in a minute. I want to change course and talk a little bit about Timothy's upbringing. Timothy's upbringing. This letter was written to Timothy. 
But what about Timothy's upbringing? Well, we'll take a quick look at the book of Acts, and then we're going to come right back to this letter, 2 Timothy, and look at some things. We are first introduced to Timothy, this young Christian man who was given such an important task of caring for this church and was such a blessing to Paul. But we're first introduced to him in Acts 16. There we read this. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there, that is in Lystra, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. Come back to that in a moment. He was well spoken of, that is Timothy, by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So in Acts 14.6, a few chapters before this one, we read there, you see there, that Paul had visited previously this city, Lystra, and he had preached the gospel there, the good news concerning Jesus the Christ, his death, his resurrection, his glorification. It is assumed that that is when Timothy and his Jewish mother believed the gospel or embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So he's now making his way, he's made his way back. And coming back now, we see that he wants to take Timothy with him, okay? He wants to take him with him in the gospel ministry because there is a good word concerning this young man who has received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, that's where Paul picks Timothy up. That's where Paul doesn't meet him the first time in Acts 16, but that's where he takes him along with him. We believe in Acts 14, Timothy, somewhere amidst this gospel ministry of Paul, uh, got saved and received the good news of Jesus Christ along with his mom. Now, back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. At the beginning of Paul's letter, this is the very same letter where we saw all of this about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God and its role in Timothy's ministry and how useful it will be. And he's not telling Timothy anything he doesn't already know. He's simply reinforcing, reemphasizing this fact so that Timothy's confidence would remain in that very Word as he has to carry out the heavy responsibility of caring for this church, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you, that is Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears. And we don't know what tears or when this occurred. It's probably as a result of their last parting, which would have been Ephesus. When he left him at Ephesus, these, these men were fond of one another, Paul, especially of Timothy. He was such a, a great companion in the gospel ministry. But Timothy, no doubt, crying uh, just as he had to say goodbye to Paul at that point as he left him behind. But Paul says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul thought highly of Timothy. And then he goes on to say this, I am reminded of your sincere, genuine faith, or sincere faith, genuine faith, a faith that first dwelt for, or first dwelt first, sorry, in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
So Paul here is attributing Timothy's faith to the influence of his Jewish mother, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, both of whom, as one writer says, were believers. So we see that in Acts 16.1, the passage I just took you to. And we read there that Timothy's father was a Greek or a Gentile. That probably means he was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever. Hence, no mention of him is made here in 2 Timothy. So it's the faith of his mother and his grandmother that are mentioned here. One writer says this, the two women probably were Jewish believers under the old covenant who immediately received Jesus as their Messiah, Savior, and Lord when they first heard the gospel from the lips of Paul, which we read about in Acts 14. But by the time of Paul's second journey, the woman had led their grandson and son to the Lord, to the Lord. Okay, stick with me. Here's what another writer says. He says, the pair, these two women, had a genuine expectant faith for the Messiah of the Old Testament. In other words, they were rooted in the scriptures. Timothy's mom and Timothy's mom's mom, his grandmother, were rooted in the scriptures, the Old Testament. And because they were rooted in the scriptures, they knew about the Messiah, they were looking forward to the Messiah, but he had not yet until the time of Christ, come. But when Paul came with his gospel message, it was a message about the Christ, that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, that had been promised to the nation of Israel. So the writer says, when they heard the gospel, so these are followers of God longing and waiting for the Christ, rooted and devoted to the scriptures that they were given. When they heard the gospel, they believed upon Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for whom they had hoped. They passed their faith on to Timothy. And writer says, Paul was tracing the faith of Timothy back to its roots, back to its roots. What were its roots? Mom and a grandmother, both rooted in the scriptures, the very scriptures that they would have been feeding to their son, Timothy, And when the gospel came that they were anticipating, looking for the Messiah, they received the gospel. They knew it to be true. Why? Because of the scriptures that they had believed and therefore passed that on to their son who was already prepped to receive the Messiah because he too was brought up in these scriptures. Mom and grandma saw to it. And we'll see that in a second. Before Paul then reemphasizes in Timothy in verse 16 of 17, which we looked at earlier, the crucial role of God's inscripturated revelation in his present ministry, and this is what I wanted to show you because 16 and 17, we always look at that passage and it's good to look at it and see what the word of God says about the word of God, how important it is, how crucial it is, how useful it is that the man of God, that the devoted Christian may be equipped and made competent for every good work, everything that God would have them to do. It is through the scriptures. They teach us, they reprove us, they correct us, they train us in righteousness. Very important. But just prior to that passage, we read this in verse 14 and 15. Paul says this, continue in what you have learned And have firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings is a reference to the scriptures, okay? The scriptures. So just prior to him opening up about the scriptures and reemphasizing these great truths of the scriptures, Paul speaks about the scriptures that have been a part of Timothy's life since he was a child. These very scriptures, he says, which led him or prepped him or prepared him for salvation, which he received when the gospel came. Literally, from childhood, the word is from infancy, from infancy. So from, from his, as a young, young boy, Timothy had received instructions in the scriptures. Who acquainted Timothy with the scriptures? Yeah, his mother and likely his grandmother, because they too were rooted in the scriptures. So that when Paul came and preached the gospel, they didn't go, huh, what? They were ready. They were already following God, looking for his Messiah, and they received the Messiah when he came, willingly and gratefully. One writer talking about the Jewish tradition of training children, he said it was the custom to teach Jewish children the law or the scriptures at a very, very early age, from the fifth year, five years old, begin to instruct children in the scriptures. Do you think you need to wait? So they're 10, 11, or 12, you don't. And I would recommend you don't. There's no need to wait. Begin giving this instruction now. Telling him, who is God? What does the scripture say? Who are you? That was Timothy's heritage. One writer goes on to say, these Old Testament scriptures were able to make him wise in preparation for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So not only did they discipline him in obedience to God, but they also pointed forward to the coming Messiah through whom salvation by faith would become available. All right. So I promise you I'd finish on time, and that's what I'm going to do. And you're, maybe you're wondering, so what is that? How does one have to do with the other? Well, let me just kind of make some application, tie this together. That very word that Paul uh, told Timothy about, that Timothy would need to rely on, that you and I need to rely on as people of God, as followers of the Lord, that very word, that very word that was breathed out by God and is therefore useful, valuable, profitable to teach us the truth about God, the truth about our salvation, important truths that will enable us to, to, to live our lives as we ought to carry on, to persevere. That very word also reproves us. It, it, it shows us where we've gone astray and we go astray. It's very common that that happens for us. And, and it corrects us. It shows us how to get back on track. And it trains us in righteousness, thereby uh, uh, making us competent or capable and, and to carry out all that God has called us to do. That very word that Timothy would rely on was not new to him. That word was a part of his life from the very beginning, right? Mom was instructing him in these matters. And so this wouldn't have been like, oh, I got to figure this out now. He knew it. He had it. Paul was, Paul was not telling him, oh, look, you don't, you don't really love the word of God, Timothy. You need to make sure you... That wasn't it at all. He just reinforcing that very thing that he had confidence in in the beginning. He grew up with that. And growing up with that put him in a position that when the gospel came, he was ready to receive it, right? 
He was already living by it, living by this word of God, and now, empowered by the Spirit of God, able to fulfill it and carry it out and do all that God had called him to do. Now, fathers are not... uh, How do I want to say it? Certainly, what I'm not saying is fathers are exempt from instructing their children. In fact, they should be leading the way. Okay? So, so don't misunderstand me. Fathers should be leading the way in the home and ministering the word of God. They should themselves, as Timothy was instructed, be heavily involved in the word, letting it have its way with them so that they are changed and transformed and they know it and have knowledge of it and therefore also instructing their children and living it out before them, of course. But today's Mother's Day, Right? So I just have a special word for moms, and in light of that, just making application of this passage, in this case, Timothy, his father was a Greek, it's assumed he was a Gentile, therefore, and that's why they said that in the text, and therefore, not even a believer. So where would he get his influence? Well, from mom, right? From mom. Mom was a believer. Mom was a follower of Yahweh. Mom was saturated in the scriptures. And mom was not only saturated in the scriptures, but spent time training her young boy. And I I think all of that is what gave way to the ministry that Timothy did have with Paul. It was an incredible ministry. He was used incredibly by God. He He had been prepped all the way along. He was ready. And it was the word of God in his life that did that, okay? Moms, I'm just thinking through a normal family. Think about how much time, generally speaking, you have with your children. Generally speaking, okay? How much time you have with your children? I would dare to say it's often more than dad does. Again, okay, just don't go after me. I'm not saying dads then get off the hook, and some dads do that, and that's wrong. Well, listen, I'm so busy. I'm working so hard. I don't have time for this. That's your thing. You do that. You be the spiritual leader of our home. No, that's wrong. No, dads, you you need to be the spiritual leader in your home, but just practically speaking, Generally speaking, who has more time with the kids? Think about it. Who has more influence, therefore, on them? What are you doing with that time? What are you doing with that time? I mean, there's lots of stuff you can do, right? Lots of stuff you can do, and and families involve themselves in all kinds of things. And most of them are, you know, they're not bad. But sometimes what I see is moms just become a a taxi driver, right? Where all their time is completely devoted to just taking kids from one thing to the next thing, this and that, and at the end of the day, there's, the word of God is where? where? Where was the word of God? Or by the end of the week even, where was the word of God? They're busy, we have so many, you know, and I think this is a benefit to the culture of that day, there was, there was nothing. You had nothing else, really. Just eking out a survival, doing the best you can, making sure you had food and clothing, and with these things you were content. You didn't have all of the entertainment choices. You didn't have 50,000 sports teams to put your kids in. You didn't have all those options. And so what you did have, and you treasured the very word of God, right? And so you invested in your kids. If you were smart, if you were wise, you would be investing the word of God into their lives. So think about it, moms. You, you have more time, generally speaking. What are you doing with it? Is the word of God, is it 
really the greatest gift that God has given to man? Is that how you feel about it? Is that how your kids would say you feel about it? We talk about children being a gift of God, and they are, right? But God has now given you his word that you might pour it into your little one's lives. Indoctrinate them. Beloved, they are indoctrinated by so many other things, right? And we are exposing them to all kinds of things, and now the internet and iPads and everything else, and they can see all of this stuff. Are we doing anything? Are we, as moms especially, and dads of course, but moms, are you doing what you can and everything you can to feed them this word. That's what I, that would be my exhortation to you. If you are, fantastic, and excel even more, and, and encourage your other moms, because they need encouragement, because they're like, oh, one more thing, one more thing I have to do. I can barely keep up. I can see that, because it's hard. It can be really hard. But this needs to be a priority in that home. In fact, be willing to let go of some other things to make this thing the priority in your children's lives. Now, beloved, I'll say this. There's no guarantee. You can feed your kids the word of God all day long. And I think, I think some of our problems is we don't feed them the word of God, so they have no fear of God in their eyes. Right? Little rebels. They need, they need that instruction. And we know when they're little, they're, they're not going to be saved necessarily. Maybe it's going to happen later on. And there's no guarantee that, like Timothy, when they hear the gospel, even having been given the word day in and day out, that they will respond positively. No guarantee, right? But it certainly preps them and readies them for that gospel. Okay? I'd much rather have my kid indoctrinated by the scriptures and instructed in the fact that they need a savior and we've proven that to them over and over again because they're little sinners in need of a savior just like mom and dad. So they get it. They've heard it a million times. I'd much rather them be in that place than know nothing of the word of God and then hear the gospel, right? I want to prep them as, as much as I possibly can to respond positively to the message to the good news of Jesus Christ. I would also add this, and then I'm done. I, I think that we may have, if you're a mother, and, or you're not a mother, you are still a mother, but your kids are grown and they're gone, maybe you did a good job filling their heads with the word of God, living it out before them, and glory be to God if that was the case, but maybe you didn't. Grandmotherhood is a second chance. It's a second chance. So with the case of Timothy, he had two godly women, his mom and his mom's mom. But maybe God came into your life at a later point in life. I would say being a grandmother is now a chance to get those kids, regardless of what mom's doing, and indoctrinate them. Indoctrinate them with the word of God. Feed them the word of God. They might have a godly heritage and be made ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. Uh, for the blessing that mothers are. And Father, all that they do, so much, they care, they sacrifice. We know that all to be true, Father. And I pray that this message today would not feel like a burden to them 
or a heavy weight on their shoulders. I pray that not be the case, Father, but that they might see hope in the Scriptures. That is the Scriptures. It is your word, your, your inscripturated revelation contained in these 66 books that teach us truths that can teach these kids such vital, important truths they need so badly, so much confusion among our young people. They need this word fed to them regularly, consistently, abundantly. They need to be taught the truth, not what some professor in some college thinks is the truth, but the real truth, objective truth. Oh, how it would help them in their lives, Father. It would even help mom and dad. Father, I pray for for a moment that they would see this as a, a vital resource, not a burden, a treasure chest. That they themselves would open this book for themselves, but also for their little young ones, those those blessed children that you have entrusted to them, that they would make, if they have never made it, they would now make it the priority in the home. From Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, instructing them and teaching them all that your word has to say, for every bit of it is profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Father, it prepares their little hearts for the gospel. It shows them their need for a Savior. So many children walking around like they don't need a Savior. They think they are the Savior. These young kids. Oh, Father, may we just feed them the word and pray that you would use it to break their little rebel hearts. But Father, we got to feed them the word. That's the means that you use through your spirit. And so, Father, again, I pray every mom here would, would not feel a burden about such things, but, Lord, that you would empower her. Give her wisdom as she tries to work through her crazy days and insane weeks. Help her to draw back where she can that she might make time for this book, not only for herself, she certainly needs that, just as Timothy needed that in order to do all that you had called him to do. And every mom needs that so badly, but also that she would make time for her children to receive that word from her. Father, I pray you do a great work among our people here in this regard. In Christ's name, amen.